السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ میں پیس اینڈ بلیسنگ واللہ بی اپون یو آل ویلکم ونس اگین ہیئر ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو یو لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمٰن اینڈ آئی جوائن بائی ڈاکٹر طارق باجوا ہو از ود می ان دا اسٹوڈیو آف وائس آف اسلام فرام لنڈن السلام علیکم پیس بی اپون یو ڈاکٹر صاحب وعلیکم السلام پیس بی آن یو اینڈ آل آر لسنرس اٹس راد گریٹ ٹوڈے بٹ آئی تھنک آر ٹاپکس آر ناٹ گریٹ بیکاز وی آر ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ Africa and about Africa um, a lot of things to talk about everybody is interested in uh, in this uh, content once called dark content but um, lots of people to are interested in this and um, and that could be one of the reasons that uh, Africa has been in in trouble uh, uh, and through the interest of various countries various nations from time to time and uh, it is highlighted to some extent but not everything uh, comes onto the surface and onto the media uh, we're going to talk about today about the um, africa's complex and diverse landscape which has become a focal point in the global fight against terrorism and we are going to talk about it how we can how we can play a role into helping africa to get out of it and to avoid what is happening from the various uh, aspects uh, from the various nations who are interested and they have got their vested interests and that leads to creating problems uh, into the various countries of africa yes you are very much right and i think as uh, today we will be discussing as you mentioned africa is now is becoming a breeding ground uh, for terror groups if you go to different countries and in africa especially you know you see that uh, people are getting trained there and uh, you know they're getting ready and if they get money from everywhere they're ready to kill anyone and for this particular reason we'll be discussing this topic in depth and we'll be having some guests who will be discussing and you know giving us a true insight of the topics that why this is happening why you know the africa is becoming breeding ground for uh, you know to t- uh, terrorists and terrorist groups and but as along with the discussion we will be mentioning that what islam says and what the god almighty you know says uh, says in, in in the holy quran and i would like to present one of the verse of the holy quran where allah the almighty says and kill not your own selves surely allah is merciful to you this this verse is so powerful you know there's so many things we do in our life where we don't realize that we are killing our our own self sometimes we think that we are doing right but if you you know if 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 you have a true understanding that what you have been doing definitely somehow we are killing our own selves we're destroying our own selves if we are discussing this topic particularly we need to understand you know the 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 people or you know the the people who are there or indulge in the, the these groups they need to they they should be a society there should be you know somebody who can make them realize that whatever they've been doing definitely is not right and i hope it has been happening but the discussion will be having to discuss this further and you know uh, to to find the solution what can be done what the strategies has been taken and the studies has been you know uh, uh, happened you know africa is a complex and diverse landscape has uh, you know become a focal point in the global fight against terrorism and uh, in recent years the continent had witnessed the rise of various terror groups posing significant uh, challenges to regional stability 
and international security. So today, you know, we will uh, delve into factors uh, that have contributed to Africa become a breeding ground for terror groups, exploring historical and, uh, you know, uh, economical dimensions that have shaped this alarming trend. If we discuss, you know, the historic context, what was behind it? So the seeds uh, of Africa's uh, vulnerability terrorism were sown during the colonial era. European powers carved up the continent, often drawing uh, arbitrary borders without considering ethnic, tribal or religious affiliations, leading to the creation of, you know, artificial nation states with deep-rooted divisions and after gaining independence may many african countries struggle to establish stable governance structures opening avenues for unrest and the emergence of armed groups so we see now you know they are struggling they are even we have discussed in uh, the, the topic that these uh, the western countries even now they have so much influence over them they are struggling to get up they are they, they are trying to speak for their rights but even though they're still struggling and uh, you know if you, if we discuss the economic factors you know the poverty and economic disparities and uh, passive in africa making it an ideal breeding ground for recruitment into terrorist organizations because if there's a poverty of course everybody needs money everybody wants to still you know get something at least to eat and to feed the children and that's what will happen if somebody is offering money against terrorism definitely you know a person have no other choice to do so that's uh, we will be discussing further and we will be giving taking some insight and true understanding of uh, uh, you know uh, today's uh, topic as I mentioned earlier and uh, now um, I hope I think we have our first guest Daniel uh Izenga PhD as a doctor uh, I welcome uh, you know uh, doctor in the show assalamu alaikum uh, peace be upon you Wa alaikum assalam it's a pleasure to be here thanks for having me uh, thank you very much for joining us today it was uh, hopefully uh, our listeners would benefit from today's talk Yes, uh, my pleasure. Glad to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Uh, you know, uh, Doctor, what is the Africa, you know, Africa Center for Strategic Studies, and what does your role with them entail, and how do regional conflicts and uh, proxies wars contribute uh, to the, you know, to the spread of terrorism in Africa? Sure. Well, the the Africa Center for Strategic Studies is uh, based at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C., and it is a uh, sort of regional think tank uh, focused on Africa as a region in in the world, and uh, and it focuses on sort of the, you know, major strategic security threats for the African continent uh, and uh, relevant African policies for addressing those uh, those threats, and so I am the research fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, um, and in my role, I've conducted extensive research on uh, militant Islamist violence in uh, in you know, West African Sahel in particular. Um, uh, so, focused primarily on, on Francophone African countries in the Sahel, Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso. Uh, Chad, Senegal, uh, Mauritania, 
um, but also um, I, I you know, have a broader mandate uh, just to be tracking uh, trends of violent extremism across the continent as well as efforts at um, conflict stabilization and, and democratization in Africa. And, um, so that's kind of my role and a little bit of background for me. And, you know, um, as regards your question about regional conflicts and, and proxy wars, you know, I, th I think that the, the main things that both of, uh, both of those different phenomena create are, are kind of general insecurity. Um, and uh, general insecurity creates opportunities for militant Islamist groups. Um, it allows them to be able to move around more freely. Um, it allows them to present themselves as sort of viable alternatives uh, to communities that are really in, in dire straits. Um, you know, I heard your remarks at the top of the program, you know, mentioning folks that are in just really dire economic situations and, and left to feel as though they have, you know, little, little choice uh, other than to uh, fall in line with some of these uh, militant Islamist groups and the radical ideology that motivates them. And, um, you know, when, when you add a general insecurity often driven by conflict uh, to the mix, you know, that 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 feeling of no of little choice becomes even more dire, um, and so you know that can facilitate recruitment. Um, it oftentimes leaves communities in a position where they're kind of it's stuck between a rock and a hard place too, where you know, militant Islamist groups are are pressuring them, coercing them to contribute economically, contribute to their recruitment drives, um, uh, and and that can force. Uh, a difficult situation. So regional conflicts will, you know, they'll, they'll degenerate into, you know, local grievances that can be conducive for ideological extremists and um, and other types of charismatic leaders uh, to radicalize popula populations. And um, proxy wars perpetuate insecurity as well. Um, often, you know, the powers behind uh, proxy wars benefit from uh, instability and insecurity, and and so they're seeking to advance their interests in those ways, um, as they you know gain uh, influence or resources or access um, through a more general uh, uh, instability and insecurity, and so that also then functions as uh, as a driver for terrorism, um, uh, and, and and creates opportunities for militant Islamist groups to to exploit, and um, so I think that's. That's, that's, you know, just some of the general dynamics that uh, contribute to the spread of terrorism in Africa. Um, so, Daniel, um, in which region in particular of Africa do terror, terror groups they find the most significant foothold, and what factors contribute to their presence in those particular areas? Sure. Um, so, you know, there in, in, in our research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, uh, we focus on five main theaters of militant Islamist violent extremism <laughs> in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, the the first and by far the the fastest growing is uh, what we would call the Sahel, and here you find countries like Mali, Burkina Faso, um, and Western Niger. Uh, but also, uh, you know, that threat is now expanding uh, uh, to include countries to the south of of those countries, and so that would include. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Togo, and Benin. Uptick in, uh, in violent extremist violence uh, in the last last year. Mm -hmm. uh, second second theater would be Somalia or the Horn of Africa, uh, with threats from Al Shabaab in Somalia uh, extending into parts of Kenya and Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. um, the third theater uh, you could you could call the Lake Chad Basin. 
Lake Chad is uh, you know, a body of water in sort of north central Africa, uh, sort of at the southern edge of the Sahara Desert. And this area would be where Boko Haram or, and its offshoot Islamic State West Africa province have been operating. It includes the territories of northeastern Nigeria, eastern Niger, western Chad, and uh, far north of, of Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a fourth and fifth theater where we've actually seen uh, a decline in violent extremism, but still a, a, a presence of these terrorist groups. Um, the fourth area would be northern Mozambique, um, mm-hmm. where there's a, a, a group operating there. And then um, sort of North Africa generally, uh, we've seen a, a fairly rapid decline in the last, uh, say, last six years or so. Of, uh, of activity, where now, you know, it represents only about 1% of militant Islamist activity on the continent, um, and that's primi- primarily concentrated in the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. Um, you, could, you could make an argument that there's also some violent extremist activities in uh, Central Africa and Eastern DRC. Uh, there's a group there that has, you know, proclaimed itself uh, to be allegiant with Islamic State, um, and so professes that connection, um, but uh, you know the, those linkages are pretty tenuous in our view. Um, and this is an area in Africa where there has been, you know, ongoing, uh, you know, local conflict and grievance. Um, you know, it's really a good example of where regional conflicts and proxy wars have have dominated uh, the insecurity scene, and so. We tend to think of, of, you know, this group that calls itself now Islamic State Central Africa as more of an opportunistic or, or entrepreneurial uh, group that's trying to just benefit from some of the general insecurity dynamics in the region uh, more than it is a, a group with a, a real ideological un- underpinning. So how has the ideology of terrorist organizations influenced their recruitment and support base in Africa? So, so a really excellent question, and it gets at one of the aspects of um, tracking violent extremism in Africa that's a bit different. And you know, the research shows that ideology is usually, uh, you know, quite low on the you know order of things that have motivated mm-hmm. your you know every, everyday fighter uh, to join ranks with uh, with militant groups in, in Africa. Typically, um, it, you know, it's, it's much more the case that local grievance, local politics, economic insecurity um, function as sort of push drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, folks that are really just in uh, a really dire economic situation and trying to figure out means by which they can earn a livelihood of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, those are real push factors. And then... Uh, another another key aspect that has come out in the United Nations Development Program study called um, Journey to Extremism has shown that oftentimes a trigger event uh, for folks to join these groups has been uh, abuses by security forces. Mm-hmm. And so when you have heavy-handed tactics employed by uh, the security forces, whether they be the military or the police um, of a particular government, those tactics often backfire. Uh, they often lead to recruitment drives, um, and and lean. They, they they give credence to some of the appeals of different militant Islamist groups on the continent, where they're trying to, to cast authorities as 
um, you know, corrupt and um, uh, counter to the interests of communities and citizens. Uh, and so there's a, there's a real uh, effort now to try and educate governments and the security forces that building trust with communities is key uh, in the fight against violent extremism in Africa. So do you have any like sort of assessment how uh, uh, to see the effectiveness of the counterterrorism efforts you make? Um, do you have a sort of strategic studies, um, um, you know, to assess that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. We're primarily focused on the security side of things. And so we're working with, uh, you know, military, police, uh, security practitioners in civil society, um, and, re- and really focused on the security policy. And so I, I say that here uh, before my comments because I want to make sure it's clear that you know, there are many different um, factors in, in counterterrorism eff- efforts, and, and mm-hmm. most of those factors are going to be on uh, a broader governance side, uh, the delivery of gov- government uh, services, Mm-hmm. Um, the improvement of, of economic conditions, mm-hmm. those really need to be kind of top priorities uh, for, for the region. On the security side, you know, the, the counterterrorism efforts so far have been, you know, they, they kind of have a mixed record. You know, as I alluded to in, in to your previous question, um, heavy-handed tactics, um, you know, human rights abuses, uh, the targeting of civilians uh, by security forces, has really not worked uh, to counter violent extremism on the con- on the on the continent. It's it's, it's exacerbated uh, many of the local grievances and drivers uh, for violent extremism, uh, and so uh, so that has not been particularly strong. At the same time, uh, in in the theaters where there's a, a real strong insurgency. There's been a lack of uh, security presence uh, on the part of security forces. So, coupled with their inability to protect civilians and civilian communities, their uh, their lack of presence has really made uh, the situation particularly bad. And so, there's kind of a, a dual thing here that's needed. And and where where we've seen some success in counterterrorism efforts has been when governments have been able to sustain a security presence that's focused on community protection and service delivery uh, uh, over a period of time, uh, that has kind of taken the momentum out of, uh, you know, the influence and efforts of violent extremist actors uh, to, to gain ground. But where you just get sort of these surge campaigns on the part of the military where they, you know, they launch a, a counterterrorism operation, they, they push their forces through an area to try and clear it of terrorist organizations and groups, um, that, if it's not sustained with follow-up for protection for the communities to restore sort of trust between security forces and communities, then it, it doesn't have uh, the sustained benefits. And, and often it can complicate some of the complex socio-political grievances uh, that are involved in some of these insurgencies. And so that's where... That's where things get particularly uh, difficult, and and where counterterrorism efforts have have uh, not done as well uh, across the region. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, just uh, one last question before we uh, you, you you go. This, you know what sure. what role can civil society and community based initiatives play 
in countering extremist ideologies and preventing the spread of terrorism in Africa? So I think that these are, are crucial. Um, you know, I, 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 it's a great opportunity for me to, to say that you know, all of the evidence uh, in the, on the continent uh, suggests that there is very little uh, local community support uh, for extremist ideologies, mm-hmm. um, and particularly for, for any kind of violence. Um, and, and so, you know, this is an opportunity for community-based initiatives and civil society actors to work closely uh, in educating uh, governments and security forces uh, to their needs of, of the community, needs of the community, uh, to better connect and restore those relationships of trust. And, you know, oftentimes uh, we are talking about um, communities that are far removed from their central governments uh, and governments that are facing you know, significant limitations in what they're able to provide in terms of services for their citizens. And so civil society and community-based initiatives are one way that you can start to bridge that gap. And um, I think that the, you know, the more that governments will reach out to those actors, community civil society actors, uh, to try and build those bridges, the, the better their chances are going to be to mitigate uh, you know, some of the drivers uh, that we've seen contribute to worsening violent extremism uh, on the continent. And you know, the, the, the crucial thing here is that it has to happen in a context of, of providing security. And so that has to be sort of your, your first goal. You've got to get your security forces educated in a way that they're focused on protecting citizens and recognizing that their duty uh, is to civilians, uh, protecting those civilians from violent actors, um, so that then the government can come in and begin that service delivery. And civil society has a, a key role there and that they can be uh, the interlocutor uh, between security forces and communities. So you know, building those bridges between the security forces and communities so that security forces begin to provide the security that they're tasked with, with fulfilling um, can really you know, take out the momentum that violent extremist organizations have been able to gain in some of the theaters that I've, I've mentioned today. So being, being a research scholar, what, what is your personal view about the religious organization's role, if any, in, if they play you know, in, in either creating or spread of terrorism, or are they helpful? So I, I think that uh, getting religious actors involved is, is really important. And um, you know, I think they can be very helpful. I think we've seen across the region, um, and, and I'll speak particularly to you know, the West African Sahelian context in the Lake Chad Basin, where I have the, the most research experience. You know, religious leaders are very adamantly against violence mm-hmm. and have played a very strong role in uh, helping to educate uh, their followers that you know, this is, th- these radical extremist ideologies are not in line uh, with their religious beliefs and communities. And so I think the more that you can get those messages out uh, to help people realize that you know, this, is, this is not uh, consistent with their faith, um, I, I think the, the better. And 
that can that can often neutralize the potency um, that these extremist ideologies have uh, when young people feel they have you know no other option um, or feel as though uh, they're really in a position where they they um, they either need the economic incentives or they're feeling such grievance that they would like to take retaliation and revenge as sort of a motivation motivator. Um, mm-hmm. You know, religious leaders um, are a crucial resource in, in helping the youth uh, to deal with those kinds of, of uh, issues. And um, to the extent that, you know, there are legitimate governments that religious leaders can work with, I think that it's an incredibly productive relationship to build um, because it, it allows uh, the government to have a better sense of the services that the community needs. And religious leaders often have the best ideas uh, for what their communities uh, uh, need. They're, they're, you know, in definition in service of their communities. So, um, yes, I, I, I very much think that religious leaders have a role to play in religious organizations more broadly, uh, faith-based initiatives of all kinds. Um, I think are, are generally uh, very important um, and often help communities uh, better understand themselves to be uh, tolerant uh, and, and accepting and, and resolve the kinds of uh, conflict drivers uh, that otherwise can result in, in uh, uh, radicalization and, and extremist ideologies taking root. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Daniel Azenga um, from Africa Center for Strategic Studies. Thank you for joining us, and it was uh, very helpful to listen to you, and uh, I hope that um, some ears can respond to that and uh, and we, we, we um, get into a more peaceful world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and, and, and listening to your program. Thank you very much. So that was Dr. Daniel Azenga. He's a research fellow at Africa Center for Strate- Strategic Studies, and he was talking about um, the complex uh, and diverse landscape of Africa where uh, you know, it has become a breeding ground for terrorist uh, groups. And um, so looking, uh, he has looked in details into the socioeconomic dimensions, which could be uh, a factor, a major factor, basically, which is uh, utilized or which is misused or abused by people uh, and to to get their own interests and create problems for the Africans. But of course, that the, uh, you know, the uh, if you look at the history, the seeds of Africa's vulnerability to terrorism were sown during the colonial era, as you heard earlier. And um, it goes on. And people, you know, even after gaining independence, many African countries, they struggle to establish stable governance structures, opening avenues for unrest and emergence of armed groups. Of course, you know, most people are aware now that the media... Uh, is available to to all people, uh, most of the people, if not all, and they are aware of what's going on, who is interested in their countries, who is not interested in the stability of the governance in various countries, and that is leading to the to the uh, instability in these African countries. Poverty and economic disparities, as you um, you know, uh, are they, these are the basic factors which are being utilized, which makes uh, an ideal situation, ideal breeding ground for the recruitment into terrorist organizations or the people who are living in those 
uh, poor financial circumstances. Of course, uh, we talked about the regional conflicts in the proxy wars. Numerous regional conflicts and proxy wars have plagued Africa with neighboring countries often intervening in the internal affairs of others. These conflicts create power vacuums and enable terror groups to capitalize on the chaos, establish safe havens, and expand their influence. Um, terrorist ideologies often rooted in religious extremism or separatist ideologies find fertile ground in regions with existing grievances or historical animosities. Groups like Boko Haram in Nigeria or Al-Shabaab in Somalia have exploited religious, ethnic, or political tensions to rally support and gain recruits. Of course, there are geographical fa factors as well. Africa's vast and uh, rugged terrain, terrain, particularly in certain regions like the Sahel and the Horn of Africa, presents significant changes to security forces in tracking and combating terrorist activities. Remote and sparsely populated areas provide sanctuaries for terrorists to operate with relative ease. Of course, we were talking earlier about the external influences. Africa's strategic importance has attracted attention from international players seeking to advance their interests both economically and geopolitically. In some cases, external actors have been accused of worsening conflicts or supporting proxy groups indirectly contributing to the rise of terrorism. As regards Islam, as I spoke to our uh, speaker earlier, that the, the religious organization, they do play in either exploiting or controlling the terrorism. And as regards Islam is concerned, in the Holy Quran, God begins to deal with the issue of terrorism by teaching all Muslims never to become terrorists in the first place. Two of the very first verses of our holy book say, Al-fitnatu ashaddu min al-qatl, which is Arabic words, meaning that in the sight of Allah, persecution or making people constantly fear for their lives is much worse than killing. And also, there is a verse, a part of the verse called La ikraha fiddin, that there, is, there shall be no compulsion in religion. That is to say that no one has the right to force others into complying with their demands or compelling others to follow their line of thinking. It is related by Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, the talented wife of the Holy Prophet, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that some desert Arabs came to him one day and asked, do you kiss your children? He, she, uh, he answered yes. They said, we never kiss them, the Prophet, May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, What can I do if your hearts have been stripped of compassion? He also said that Allah the Almighty has no mercy for him who has no mercy for his fellow beings. The mayor of compassion shown by the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, cannot but amaze anyone who knows how rough and violent was the society into which he had been born. Abu Qatada one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, may Allah be pleased with her, with her, relates that the Messenger of Allah told him, it happens that I stand up to lead the prayer, having in mind to lengthen it. Then I hear the cry of an infant and I shorten the prayer, fearing lest I should cause inconvenience to his mother. 
Far from inciting hatred and aggressiveness in its followers, Islam keeps on enjoining kindness and sympathy for all. The Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that charity is incumbent upon every human limb every day on which the sun rises. To bring about reconciliation between two contestants is charity. Helping a person mount his animal or to load his baggage onto it is a charity. A good word is a charity. Every step taken toward the mosque for prayers is charity. To remove anything from the street that causes obstruction or inconvenience is charity. He incessantly admonished Muslims to behave well towards their neighbors, saying that one will not enter paradise whose neighbor is not safe against his mischief. He also declared, by him in whose hands is my life, you will not enter paradise unless you believe, and you will not truly believe unless you love one another. Shall I tell you something whereby you will love one another? Multiply the greeting of peace among yourselves. As Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran that the true believers are those who suppress their anger and forgive people. Likewise, the Holy Messenger of Allah, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Allah is gentle and loves gentleness in all things. Make things easy and do not make them hard and cheer people up and do not repel them. There's a verse of the Holy Quran says, Call unto the way of your Lord, that is the way of justice and goodness, with wisdom and goodly exhortation, and argue with them in a way that is the best. That's from chapter 16, verse 126. In simpler words, Islam advocates three steps against terrorism. Uh, number one, to give an excellent moral upbringing to all Muslims so that they become upright, just, moral, kind, and loving people, thereby ensuring that they never disrupt the peace of others. And the second step is, whenever the peace is disrupted, to reason and argue with the evildoers and sincerely pray for them to make them change their ways. And the third step is that if all reasoning fails, than to join forces with all good people to combat the mischief mongers until peace has been restored, but always keeping the dictates of justice in view. In Burkina Faso, regarding <coughs> uh, as, as His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed said that on 11th of January, in the Mahdibad community of Dori, Burkina Faso's nine Ahmadi were martyred for not renouncing their faith. And according to reports, eight people on four motorcycles came to the Ahmadiyya Mosque at the time of the evening prayer, which is called Isha. And they had an announcement made that everyone should come into the mosque swiftly as they, there were you know, some people who had come to meet them. They then asked who the Imam of the mosque was and who the associate Imam was. And they asked various questions about the belief of Ahmadis to which the Imam confidently gave answers. They asked about whether Jesus is alive or has passed away, to which the Imam replied that the Ahmadiyya belief is that Jesus has passed away. He then also told them about the advent of the promised Messiah. They then brought in picture of the promised Messiah 
and the Khalif and the Imam gave instruction of all of them. Then they said that God forbid the promised Messiah was false in his claim. And those terrorists then formed groups of all those present in the mosque separating the children, youth and the elders. There were about 11 or 12 women present in the mosque as well. Then the terrorists took the elders out into the country out of the mosque. There were 10 elders at that time including one with an ailment who the terrorists told to stay inside. While outside, the terrorists said that whoever renounced Ahmadiyyat would be saved. The Imam replied that if they wished to be, be beheaded, then uh, if they wished to behead him, then they, they could. However, he would not renounce the truth after having found it. They laid him down on the ground with a knife his neck however he said that if they were going to kill him then should let him be upright upon this they shot him and thus the first martyr was Imam Al-Hajj Burmania Badiga His Holiness may Allah his helper said that after this the terrorists thought that upon seeing this others would be scared and renounce their faith they moved on the next elder. However, he said he could never renounce Ahmadiyyat and he was content with following the path of the Imam. Upon this, they shot him in the head. Then the terrorists went to rest one by one, asking them the same question, receiving the same answers. And they all met the same honor of martyrdom. They all exhibited the highest level of patience and perseverance. Their faith did not waver for even a moment, despite seeing their brothers being martyred, and they all gave the same answer. Each martyr endowed about three or so bullets. Two of the martyrs were also twin, two, you know, twin brothers. When eight people had been martyred, you know, uh, A.G. Adramane Aguma remained, who was 44 years old and the youngest among the martyrs, the terrorist said that he was the youngest and should save his life. He boldly, replied, he boldly replied that he was ready to sacrifice his life just as his elders, elders had and he was subsequently martyred. His Holiness said that with reference to a dream he saw about Hazrat Sahibzad Abdul Latif Shaheed the promised Messiah commanded that God would send others like him. Surely the events in Burkina Faso are fulfillment of that. I would like to mention you know, Shahzada Abdul Latif Shaheed. He was martyred, the first martyr of Islam, Ahmadiyya, who was a very renowned person, a very respectable person. But when he accepted the Ahmadiyya, the king of the time, he asked him to leave the religion. But he stood fast and said, I'm ready to give my life, but what I have found, the truth I have found, I cannot leave that. So he was martyred, and the uh, the reference of to a dream, as I mentioned, God has given, you know, the Islam Ahmadiyya, the, the the followers or the people, that they are ready to sacrifice their life to protect their religion. Anyhow, we're discussing the terrorism, and the first speaker has discussed 
There's so many countries are there which the terrorists, you know, they just go and if they don't like something, they are killing people, they are extremists. They don't have a true understanding of Islam as well. As in the beginning I've mentioned, they asked that whether Jesus is alive or not, what is our belief? And they said Jesus passed away. And, uh, you know, that's what we believe and that's what we'll be discussing in the second hour where we'll be discussing the religious miracles because people think that the miracle of Jesus, that he went on you know, on the cross and, you know, he was came alive, uh, he was survived from the cross and how he woke up, whether he was a son or whether he was a prophet or whether he was a man, we'll be discussing that in next hour and we'll be discussing the birth of Jesus, which I think the biggest miracle happened uh, in, in, in the entire history of this world. And we'll be discussing in depth where you will have a better understanding what we believe and what are the two understanding of those miracles. Anyhow, you know, the as we were discussing in the beginning, that uh, especially most of the countries, if not wrong, uh, wrong, Dr. Tariq Bajwa, that people are Muslims. And uh, they because they have not have a true understanding of Islam, they are gone to, to, to extremism. And, uh, you know, they, they think, and again, it's not only the reason Islam being that they don't understand properly, they are poor people. They want to feed themselves and their children, and that's why they are choosing this path. And, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the the current caliph of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, Hazrat Mizah Masoorah Masah, may Allah be his helper, has mentioned in his sermon as well that the, the nations who have, you know, the, the wealth, they are not, you know, dividing them justly. They are trying to get their wealth and everything. And if they realize that, you know, we have to share everything, okay, and then, you know, these things, can we can overcome all these things. We have to, as, as being countries, especially Western countries, they have all the powers, they have money, they have wealth, they are have the, you know, means to, to provide uh, at least food for those countries so they can have a better life. And I think that's the easiest way to, to bring those people out of this uh, you know, the, the, this filth they are in, they are becoming terrorists and, uh, you know, taking the life of innocent people. The beauty of the Ahmadiyya Islam, mm -hmm. that means that the Islam which has been given in its true form by mm -hmm. the Imam of the time, by the Imam Mahdi, on whom be peace, the promised Messiah, uh, who is the promised Messiah as well, and that is his, um, uh, of course, uh, symbolic. Both names are symbolic because they both represent the Holy Prophet, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, because uh, the it is mentioned in the Holy Quran that in the latter days it is Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He is the one who is going to come again, and is mentioned in, in chapter uh, Al Jumu'ah. Um, that uh, he will be he will be appointed again in the latter days in the people who has not yet joined them. That means at the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And it is a symbolic message that he will come again, not in his physical form, but is his in his spiritual teachings and his true teachings will come out. And that is why, you know, the, the earlier you mentioned that people in Burkina Faso, nine Ahmadis, they were murdered one by one. Mm. And they were told whether they would turn away from what they have believed 
and they have believed in the promised Messiah and the truth of the Imam Mahdi on whom be peace, but they refused even though they saw the other people being killed right in mm. front of them. So such was the strength of their faith that nothing, and another message in that was that they were the followers of the Imam Mahdi who was not a bloody Imam Mahdi. He did not come to shed blood, but his teachings were that of peace. And that is the, those are the true teachings of, of peace. And that is the true teachings of Islam, because Islam gives the message of peace. And the concept of an Imam Mahdi who would come and shed blood and convert people by force is totally against the basic principles of Islam given by the Holy Quran, as we mentioned earlier, that the Holy Quran says, La ikraha fiddin. There is no compulsion whatsoever in the religion. And how can we um, think that the people who believe in Islam would become violent? Mm. It's only the misunderstandings that have been created by the so-called scholars who know nothing about Islam, and they have created misunderstandings. And that feeds those who are interested in making people getting involved into terrorist groups and activities and they are actually fed on that and and these groups they are filled up by these religious extremists who has actually nothing to do and no relationship with the true islam yes uh, dr Tawa, you very much right uh, we are now you know heading uh, to towards the end of uh, today's show uh, you know, you can join us uh, by calling us on 0208-687-7878 or you can, you know, uh, tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, you can please do subscribe to the channel where um, the, the, the tutor, uh, that so you can contact us and you can see the what kind of shows we are doing, what is the different topics we are discussing. And uh, we hope that uh, we try to become, you know, uh, to, to, to give you the right uh, understanding of Islam and uh, you know the true understanding of the events are happening uh, around us and uh, you know as I mentioned you can jo join us through the phone or you can visit our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk with this uh, you know I would like to end uh, today's show and uh, please join us um, uh, next in next hour after the news break we'll be discussing uh, a very important topic we'll be discussing the religious uh, miracles that how you know the miracles took place and and again you know we will be discussing that people have misunderstood some miracles and uh, people thought to be you know that taking them differently what actually occurred and we have found through the holy quran what actually happened and what is a true understanding of those miracles and uh, there are some miracles where you know on which all the religion are based on so we'll be discussing that in depth and please you know join us after the uh, news break and uh, we'll sh you, you will hear some uh, you know the audio clips uh, where you will uh, be listening that uh, you know the the status of the holy prophet peace be upon him and please then after listen to the news break and we'll be back after that Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. I look always with wonder at this Arab prophet, whose name is Muhammad. Thousands of blessings and peace be upon him. How exalted his status was. 
one cannot perceive the ultimate limits of his station, and it is not within the scope of man to fully comprehend the depth and penetration of his ennobling qualities. Alas, due recognition has not been paid to his lofty rank. That unity which had disappeared from the world was restored by this same valiant champion. He loved God most intensely. So also his soul was being consumed in deep sympathy for mankind. That is why God, who was fully aware of the hidden excellences of his heart, exalted him above all the prophets. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome back after the news break. Now we're going to head um, towards another topic which we'll be discussing today and uh, you know, top, a topic which is uh, very important and uh, and there's so many people, uh, they believe on the miracles and especially the religion people, they believe on the miracles occurred by, you know, in the life of the prophets uh, with the help of Allah, the Almighty. And, you know, there are some religion who are based on those miracles and uh, uh, they, 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 they have a uh, misunderstanding that, uh, and you know, they are, I should say that they have, don't have a true understanding of those, uh, you know, uh, miracles. So we'll be discussing those miracles and we will be discussing that what is a true understanding of those miracles according to Islam. Since the creation of humanity, God Almighty has been, you know, commissioning prophets and messengers uh, for the purification of mankind to quench their spiritual thirst. And in order to prove the truthfulness of his messengers, God Almighty, helps and supports them by manifesting extraordinary signs. And at every moment and occasion, Allah grants them supremacy over others, so that the world can witness that it is God alone who is supporting them, giving them incredible, phenomenal success against the opponents. Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, Most surely we help our messengers and those who believe both in the present life and on the day when the witness will stand forth. But one thing we have to understand, which will base the discussion of today, that whether God can do everything, we have a firm belief, yes, God can do everything, in Allah ala kulli shayin kadeer, that God has all the powers to do which this is the argument which is presented most of the time by people, by the Muslims, by, you know, by others, that God has all the power, God can do anything. If, if this is the miracle, then it can happen. Why not? God has all the power. But there's one verse of the Holy Quran which had a great significance and which we should always have this in our mind, which clears so many things. This is to say that God Almighty says in Surah Al-Ahzab, وَلَن تَجِدَ لِسُنَّةَ اللَّهِ تَبْدِيلًا that this divine practice, you know, the, 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 this practice has never changed. And indeed, the examples of this divine support have been witnessed. So in this verse particularly, God says, That the divine practice doesn't change. Which means that 
even though God is showing miracles, we, you know, uh, had to happen to see something which is, you know, out of the world, which we have, which we never have seen, and which we read, which when we read in the history, we find that some extraordinary events happened. But the the discussion is whether, you know, they were out of this world, whether it was against the nature, as some people believe that it's not happened normally, it happened just only for those. And indeed it was happened for those. But one thing which we need to discuss, whether there was against the law of nature or whether it was within that. And in this verse, which clarifies that we do not know the domain of God Almighty. We don't know what God can do or, you know, God, what, are, what are the, you know, the parameters God has set that I will do whatever I want to do in this. And indeed, God knows what he, you know, was the best way to do that. But one thing we need to understand when we, you know, see the miracles and we see some extraordinary things and we think that this must have happened like this and we exaggerate in this, whether it was not happened in, 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 in a real uh, life, in a real term. So what when we discuss this these miracles, we need to understand and we need to uh, to, to, to see them as it was happened, and is there any way we can understand these miracles or could happen in the life of the prophets? You know, there are splitting of the sea of Moses, the, 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 the birth of Adam. It was the biggest miracle, how he came in, in, into this world, whether he was the first, you know, man or there were people before him. And then we have to discuss the birth of Jesus. I think it's again it's biggest miracle we see in the in the, in the history of religion that or in the Christianity that they present this miracle that not, never happened before and something incredible and then you know the Moses uh, going on to crucifixion and uh, you know coming out out uh, uh, alive and didn't die on the cross and how he stayed in the a small cave and how. He became, as they believe, the Son of God, whether it was happened or not, and what was the true account of it. So we'll be discussing that in depth. And for this, I think, uh, I, you know, uh, we have, as you know, our another presenter, uh, Dr. Tariq Bajwa, as we are discussing now the religious miracles, you know, the, 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 the coming of Adam, you know, would you like to tell something that whether he was the first man or whether... There was people before him or, you know, people, this is, I think, in my opinion, is the biggest thing we should discuss, we should be discussing because everything starts from there. And one thing, you know, the Christian base that why Jesus given his life, they relate that thing to Eve, you know, because she has done a sin. And yeah, for, yeah, they are related in a, in, in a way according to their concept. But I think uh, we, we have done um, a few programs before as well on the concept of about the uh, birth of Adam and uh, uh, in details as well because they it in, uh, independently needs a program, a full program. Sure. To, we can talk about it because there is a lot of misconceptions about um, the um, the origin of Adam and, uh, and, and it's also because the... You know, if you study chapter Genesis in 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 Bible in in the Old Testament as well, um, the, it has given in details and the concept because the concept is not very clear because the the language is metaphorical, and wherever there is a problem with the uh, concept of uh, 
um, the uh, you know when when you fail to understand that this is not something which is physical it is a metaphorical language and you have to understand it in the same coin rather than you know otherwise they, they they don't match up and then you are in a in a clear confusion so the thing is that the first of all when we see a prophet when does a prophet be, when does a prophet get appointed he only gets appointed when there are people who need guidance they need guidance um, to uh, so that they can be brought towards god they've gone away from god and god has appointed the, the prophets so that people can turn to him and is a prophet who guides them how they can develop a relationship with their creator so obviously when we talk about adam there is an adam who can be the first creation but then there is also adam who is spoken of as a prophet who was appointed as a prophet of god and this prophet of god of course was created when the human beings had developed to an extent where they could understand the message and they could follow the message as well and therefore at that particular stage when the human being the, the species of human beings they had developed to that level of uh, wisdom that they could understand the message and they could follow the instructions then a, a prophet was appointed and that prophet brought the very first message from god almighty and that that was the adam the prophet on whom be peace so the very first message you know when he 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 brought the message they the instructions were very very simple because people they were living out in the uh, you know uh, in the open there was no concept of living together in the communities um, so so he was the very first one who gave them instructions that they could still live together in association with others so the communities were built up and and therefore we see that he also gave the concept of people living together and they they could be protected so they brought these people out of the cave so there are different stages if we go through the stages there's the stage of stone and then the stage of cavemen and then um the co- concept of bringing the people into a community where you know because when a prophet comes he is the leader and he is leader of the people and the people unless they are brought together you know you can't you can't have a leader of you know if the, if everybody is independent so when this concept that there is one guide there's one leader who has been appointed by god almighty it was someone who was a rebellion against his instructions when he gave the instructions he 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 was a rebellion he said that i don't agree you are forcing people that when they are they will be living together they can be attacked by the animals and they they will be finished so he did not follow his instructions to to come together and start living together whereas adam had instructed them that if you live together you can protect each other you will be a stronger force you can you know compete with the other animals and you can have an independent living which is more uh, possible and the likelihood of your survival is much better if you live together in the communities 
So that was the concept that, you know, the, the, the uh, first prophet and the Adam who was the first creation who was destined to become a human being with the full wisdom. So when they had developed that kind of uh, that status or that uh, stage of wisdom, then the prophet came and he guided and he's, he's the Adam the prophet. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, one thing as uh, there are some Muslim also believe that uh, Adam was the first man on this and they have a different understanding of the verses of the Holy Quran. And I would like to, you know, the read out the verses and give a very little explanation that how, uh, you know, the Quran himself explains us that Adam was not the first person. He was the first prophet on this earth. There's a verse of, verse of the Holy Quran where Allah the Almighty says that وَإِسْقَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْزِ خَلِيفَةِ قَالُوا تَجَعَلُوا فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَيَسْفِكُ الدِّمَا Which means that and when the Lord said to the angels I'm about to place vestigerant in the uh, earth they said while thou place therein such as will cause disorder in it one thing, you know, the, the question come up in the mind. If Adam was the first person, why the angels were saying this? That they will create disorder. They have never seen a, a human being on the earth. Yeah. On the other side, the angels are saying that you want to, you know, make somebody resident who will create a disorder. That means that people who used to live before, they used to fight with each other. They don't know, they used to live in the cave, they used to fight with, you know, one tribe is fighting with the tribe. They used to create disorder, nobody was there to guide them. And this is the very first verse, you know, God himself, this, this verse gives an idea that there was a disorder and God wanted to restore that disorder, that they all wanted to, you know, guide them on the right path. But God Almighty replied that, you know, I, I will read out the verse further. Say they said, while thou place therein such as will cause disorder in it and shed, shed blood. So yeah. That means yeah. that was happening before. And we glorify thee with thy praise, extol thy holiness. He answered, I know what you know not. So what God was saying that even though you, 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 you see that they are fighting, they are creating disorder, they are shedding blood. But what I see you cannot, what I'm going to do now what I'm going to teach Adam, the prophet, which we believe. And he will be a person who will be there on my name. And, uh, you know, and he will be guiding people to the right path. And if we carry on the verses, I, I would like to skip a few verses, then I will come back on them. Where, you know, Allah the Almighty says, that go down, there will be you know, your enemy against each other. Which means that, you know, slip by means of it and drove them out of the state in which they were. And we said, go forth hence, some of you are enemies of others. If there were only two persons there, Adam and Eve, so who were, you know, the enemies of each other's? God is saying it's the whole, you know, this this whole con conversation going on where you know Eve, you know, ate that apple as people believe that everything you know is shown to them, and we'll discuss that later on after this, and after the God said, okay, go forth, 
go in this uh, earth. How is it possible that people would believe that only were two people, Adam and Eve, and God saying that go forth, some of you are enemies of others? Mm-hmm. That means there were some other people. Of course. So that's what God wanted. God wanted to create a peace within the society. That's why He appointed Him. God told Him, you know, the Adam and Eve not to do some things. As we, you know, as a me- metaphorical, as you were mentioning, God speaking metaphor. He said the Adam and Eve do not, you know, do these things if you want to create peace within the society. society. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, the Satan deceived Eve and, you know, tried to convince that you should be doing this to have an eternity. God is stopping you so you cannot, you cannot have the eternal life or eternity. So she done that particular thing which was not right. An apple is referred to something which is, you know, you wish to do or you want to do. Like apple, you want to have, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Tariq Bhai would uh, able to, you know, explain it further. That when it's mentioned as apple, that means something you desire to do, something you desire to eat. You know, in Turkey, they used to say this, you know, for, for Istanbul especially, that uh, Christian used to say this, this is the red apple because something is desirable by others. And people wanted to whatever after the, the 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 city of Istanbul. So here's you know metaphorically God stopped you know Adam and Eve not to do particular things when they did it, which created again disorder. So then Allah the Almighty says, okay, now go forth. You know some of you are enemies of each other, which clarifies there were some other people who were living there. Then you know if we discuss further then what happened that when they ate something and you know God says in the Holy Quran that they were in the heavens you know what is the answer for that for that you know Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih the second has mentioned very beautifully in the uh, commentary that he said that you know the river Nile if you go the surroundings of river Nile is so beautiful the people who are living in cave they never come out of the jungles and you know they don't have seen uh, they, they're living in the caves maybe in, in, in an area where there was a desert if you go to Egypt even now you see there's so many mountains there and uh, the, the, you, you cannot see you know, greenery there if God has guided people who are living in the caves even now we see in Australia there are some people living in particular area they don't want to come out the people who are you know they, they call um, in in in, uh, in America they call Indians and the other people who are living still living in jungle they don't want to come out of that place if God has guided Adam and you know took that uh, Adam to near River Nile a beautiful place you know the rivers are there the, the fruits there are different things you know that that what we even we say if we go to Switzerland let's suppose we say oh we are in heaven the same thing was referred in that and that's more understandable and something which can be true rather than saying that Adam was sent from the heaven. How did they came? Did they fly to come to the world? And they said, no, inna Allah ala kulli shayin, the God has all the powers. Yes, God has all the powers. But God also says, that God does not change, uh, you know, what his, his uh, you know, uh, his practice or traditions. Right. So that's what happened, and that's the true understanding. And as I mentioned, the verses of the Holy Quran explains us that Adam was the, the, the prophet Adam, peace be upon him, was not the first person on the earth. He was a first prophet of God Almighty, who got sent to teach people, to tell them the path of God Almighty, and you know to 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 make them civilized people, to make them wear clothes, to make them how to eat, how to speak, how to live with each other. 
and everything started from there i really do not have time but i've taken some you know uh, uh, the studies where it is mentioned that even before the adam they have found some remainings of people that you know that even before adam there were uh, people who who were living i would present one of one or two Uh, according to the news of Daily Telegraph London you know reproduced in Sydney morning hull 12th of February 1997 at you know 12500 footprint along with thousands of you know artifacts believe that have been 13000 years old than the oldest human tools have been found in Chile the recent discovery has mentioned the theories and uh, you know I mentioned the, th- the theories of, of how and when the earliest human arrived in america another research had appeared a few months ago according to which the people of uh, aboriginal stock of australia inhabited america 14000 years ago the australian newspaper you know captioned the news to the effect that australian were the first occupants of america with regards to australian uh, aborigines the scientists believe that they have been living here for the at least last 14000 years a recent archaeological find rather suggests that as soon as the humans reached that homo erectus stage in the evolutionary process believed to be 176000 years ago they somehow reached australia alternatively they the, the, the life evolved independently at different you know centers africa central asia java and australia contrary to the popular belief that life originated in africa from where it spread to africa parts of the world there's a lot of things can be said but i would you know mention one thing um where you know our college discovers Uh, discoveries therefore lead us to believe that in any case humans had inhabited various parts of the world uh, before you know before much before the advent of adam the prophet peace be upon him this is however contradictory to the statement of the bible that adam was the first man created on earth but the quran tells us a different story the promised messiah peace be upon him said much earlier than the above mentioned discoveries became public that we believe in the existence of human race before adam we'll be discussing the promised messiah islam how beautifully has mentioned you know even before these researches came out which has done which which has been done in the you know the spending thousands of pounds the promised messiah we believe he is the messiah of later days which you know everybody is waiting for right now he said you know the 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 above mentioned discoveries became public as i mentioned that we believe in the existence of human race before adam in english you know scholar of astronomy professor raig met the promised messiah on 12th of may and 18th of may 1908 in lahore and asked him a few questions as reported in the malfuzat at volume 10 page 353 and 426 among other question he asked that it is written in the bible that adam or say the first man was born in jihun sehun and belonged on the contrary sehun uh, and belonged to that c- c- country and then all of mankind that is found in different parts of the world like america and australia the descendants of the same adam this is a question 
the promised Messiah replied, we do not follow the Bible in holding that the world began with the birth of Adam six or seven thousand years ago, and that before this there was nothing, and God was as it were idle and without working. Neither do we claim that all mankind who are now found in different parts of the earth are the progeny of self-same Adam. On the contrary, we hold that this Adam was not the first man mankind existed even before him, as is hinted by the Quran itself when it says to Adam, I'm about to place a Khalifa in the earth. As Khalifa means successor, it is clear that man existed even before Adam. Hence, we cannot say whether the original inhabitants of America, Australia, etc. are the progeny of this last Adam or some other Adam gone before him. So even now, you know, as the, the, the term of Khalifa has been used, Khalifa is, the, of course, a person who is over, you know, above all the all other people, so he can guide them. What's the point of Prophet coming where there is no people? And as I mentioned, other, this, uh, other, uh, the verse of the Holy Quran, which clearly makes us understand that there were people before Adam, peace be upon him. Now we're going to move to another important, you know, incident happened in the history of world the birth of Jesus, such an incredible miracle that Jesus was born without a father. So for this, we'll be listening to an answer which was given another program. We will be understanding more about it and that how and what happened. So please listen to and we'll be joining you after that. The miraculous birth of Jesus affords him a higher standing in the eyes of God than any other prophet. Both Muslims and the Christians believe in his miraculous birth. But is there any evidence between the Islamic and the Christian view on the miraculous birth of Jesus? And does this miracle serve as a proof of his presumed partnership with God? Dr. Saab, just taking the first point. Um, as to whether there's any difference in the Islamic and Christian view on the, on the miraculous birth. Perhaps you can shed some light on this. The foundations for that are we as Muslims from the Holy Quran uh, believe that we, we believe in uh, the birth of Jesus, that Jesus was born without the male intervention, whereas Jews at the time considered that, uh, uh, God forbid, that that was an illegitimate birth. So in that respect, yes, we also um, agree to the fact that the birth of Jesus was without uh, the male, male issue. Um, but going on from that, despite uh, all kinds of scientific uh, advancements uh, and man being the most intelligent of, uh, of creation, he still does not able to understand or to comprehend all of the processes of creation of life. Um, and on, on this question, we have to keep two things in perspective. One is a scientific viewpoint of the answers that we give, and the other is a spiritual um, aspect to all of these. And we always have to have a balance between the two so that we can uh, understand this matter, matter more fully. Uh, in the animal kingdom, I think this is quite widely known. Uh, that we do see examples of what is called parthenogenesis, so there is even, even a word for it, where uh, the production of a child by a female without any relationship to a male. So in the animal kingdom, this certainly exists, and there are many examples of that. But as far as uh, human beings are concerned, in medical literature also, 
there, there are articles on this subject. Uh, and uh, the European uh, gynecologists in The Lancet previously have published articles to say and show data that there have been such births. So from that angle, we can say that the birth, miraculous birth of Jesus is not a one-off uh, phenomena. It has been seen uh, in, in other aspects as well. Um, so we can say that these incidents perhaps do occur, but they are very rare indeed. So of course we believe in the virgin birth uh, from, from that angle, but uh, considering all this in mind, it does not confer upon him any higher status as a result of that. One other element to our answer uh, is that uh, we, what we have to consider is regarding creation. And we, we believe that the creation of Adam was not only without the intervention of a male, but also without a mother. So uh, does that confer upon Hazrat Adam an, an even higher status than that that is, that is given to, to Jesus? So this does not give Jesus the alleged position of a partnership with God. Um, In and fact, that is it. part of the, what's interesting about this is that there is no suggestion anywhere in the text that as a result of this miraculous birth, and I noticed that in our previous program, one of the questioners, and we did promise we'd come back to him, so Mishud Ahmed Sab from the USA, um, the second half of your question from the last program was um, describing a question from his friend. He suggested that the references to uh, Jesus as uh, you know, the Son of God and Lord, and he went on to say that because his birth was special and his life was special, uh, this alone is, is proof of his, is to establish the proof of, of Jesus Christ as So, I suppose the question then comes back that in all religions, all prophets of God have something unique about them. And uh, there's not necessarily an, a direct link between a miraculous birth and a partnership with God. <clears throat> So there's, I mean, is there, you know, are there other examples of prophets that you yeah, I mean, shed light on? No, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, if you take, for example, Hazrat um, Musa I mean, just an example, um, he was unique in the sense that the amount of signs that he had shown to Pharaoh, clear signs of uh, that he was not an ordinary. I mean, when I use the word ordinary, I mean he was a prophet of God. Because there is a slight distinction between prophets and other people, but he was definitely uh, a prophet of God, and he was unique in this sense, number one, that he was given many miracles in his favor. That's where he stands out, and that's where he brought Egypt uh, to compile, to submit to the will of God. And then you have Hazrat Isa, the unique thing about his birth was he, he had a very unique birth. Uh, and he stood out, he was different, he brought attention. Um, in, in light of how the Prophet Muhammad, sallam, the unique thing about him is the Qur'an. It is absolutely a miracle, uh, what was written in the Qur'an, and that is unique to him. And I would go as far to say, in light of Hadrat Prophet you know, the fact that he brought the knowledge of uh, that Hadrat Isa uh, and, and let me clarify this, so this should not be misunderstood. Qur'an has already mentioned that Hadrat Isa had died a natural birth, a natural death. But uh, it was the Prophet Muhammad who highlighted this in a, in a greater depth and meaning. And that means he, he, Allah had given him this unique thing of greater insight for this time. So the, every, every Prophet has something unique about him. I mean, the Prophet enlightened us about um, um, Guru Nanak Sahib, 
that you know in his life that he was uh, a Muslim. So every prophet of God is always given something special for him at that moment at that time. And so the miraculous birth of Jesus is one of those things. So although I think what we need to take away from this is that um, we accept and we recognize the miraculous birth, but the point is that all prophets uh, have something unique about them. And in the case of Hazrat Islam, the uniqueness was the birth, the virgin birth. There was a, a design of Allah for why why this was the case, and I think that's important. That because uh, uh, Hazrat Isa salam was the final of the Israelite prophets, uh, and therefore he was born without an Israel a father. Uh, this was the impending transition of the prophethood from the house of Israel to the house of uh, uh, Ishmael, and it was also a warning to the Israelites that they had spiritually become so corrupt uh, and morally so degenerate that they could not father a prophet. So this was a final prophet in that sense. Welcome back after uh, listening to the question. I hope uh, you have uh, understood the miraculous birth. This incident definitely is not something we can take in lightly. And uh, something not occurred, uh, or, you know, occur in, in, in uh, every day or uh, every few years. If something happened for, uh, you know, Jesus and God Almighty, you know, himself, you know, given him a life without a father. And But as you have heard, there's not something happened at all. There is something, you know, we find some incident and uh, there are some evidence that there were some other births like that. But one thing where God says himself that I will give you a birth and then God give, you know, uh, give the life to 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 a, to a child and come on this world without a father definitely some miracle and you know the the connection which as mary had with god almighty the prayers you know he uh, she she was a devotee and she has given up their life for 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 the sake of god almighty and he they were there to serve the faith and god almighty chose her and given him a Jesus, and of course, but there's a true understanding of the of the, the birth of Jesus, which we we will want to discuss today, as we're discussing the topic that there are miracles, but there are some miracles sometimes we don't understand, but there are some uh, understanding to it which we should know and to understand better that uh, why God wanted this and how it happened, and uh, of course there are some where we still cannot find uh, some to understanding but they are most of them the major ones we can understand fully uh, you know that how this this could have how could have happened and then you know if we discuss Moses as you've heard some of the signs that he was he's shown the sign to Pharaoh that uh, you know uh, when he they were having a conversation an argument God how God helped Jesus uh, sorry Moses to 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 to, to uh, you know prove front of Pharaoh that the God Almighty has most more power and he is the prophet of Allah the Almighty and he has shown some magics and indeed if it's from God Almighty it's something where people you know could see what Moses want them to see you know there's one verse of the Holy Quran we find in, in, in the Quran where when you know the magicians Shown, uh, was showing something front of Moses. Even he were get to get into it, and he was seeing what they were showing to him. You know, then God Almighty says that I opened the eyes of Moses, and he could see. And he, I told uh, God says that I told Moses to throw his, you know, uh, um, the, the stick, and uh, then there was a magic over people, and they could see what God wanted them to see. 
and how you know he won the the the, the, the conversation and the battle of you know the, the magicians, and even magician magician accepted that we bow down front of the God of Moses, and one of the great incident happened where they crossed the sea. We find in the Holy Quran, and people understand that you know both the the, the sea become apart, and uh, there was two sides. The 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 water was standing like a mountain, and uh, Moses was crossing. But as a Muslim, or the Khalifa the Masih the Second of Islam, Ahmadiyya has given the explanation uh, on this, and uh, you know try to explain that what could would would have happened. Where he has mentioned that I would just uh, briefly let you know that he said. With the understanding, we find that as a sea has a low tide and high tide. And the miracle was that God, he himself told Moses that this is the time to cross the sea. And when, you know, the Moses hit with his stick uh, into the water, the water, the low tide started and there was the power of God Almighty that he was there on time and this happened and they crossed the sea. And of course, when you see the when a high tide comes, it's not this doesn't come in 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 you know uh, in, in an hour or two. It comes very quickly. And uh, when they were crossing the sea, then they were not uh, people who were uh, or hundred people, two hundred people, thousands of people who were crossing the uh, sea. And is the sea is not something which is like hundred meter, two hundred meter was a, a a good distance was which they were crossing. And when Pharaoh entered. And uh, with his buggy and riding uh, the, the 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 you know the horses or you know the carriage to cross the sea, and eventually uh, the water coming back, Pharaoh could have thought that you know he will get out of it, but not. It was his time, and and you know he was drowned. So this is the miracle you know happened in the time of the Moses. Peace be upon him. Now uh, we're gonna go to our uh, one of the caller who is with us and who would. Uh, you know, like to speak. I welcome him in the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. And thank you for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, are you there? Assalam. Yes, uh, we have a, a caller. I would like to would like to speak with him. Uh, can you please introduce yourself first? Hi there. My name is Mikhail Malik. I am from Wolverhampton, Jamaat. And um, generally speaking, um, I'm really like um, interested in like, um, you know, joining the presenter um you know, speaking with confident, inspiring people and, um, you know, spreading the true message of true Islam and, you know, pleasing, pleasing God and, um, you know, giving tabligh and all those good things. That's what we do. Alhamdulillah. Uh, you're very much welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, do contact us at our office. Uh, we do need of presenters, definitely, if uh, you would be able to come here because we are presenting in the radio here uh, from London. And uh, we would like to uh, you to come here and Zakallah for uh, joining and uh, giving uh, of course you know when people call and uh, you know encourage us is better for us to to, to to present better even even better than uh, now and uh, Zakallah may Allah bless you as well and thank you very much for joining us today so he was the uh, caller who was joining and he was listening to our show and hope uh, he is uh, enjoying and getting benefit from this and would like other you know people who are listening to us do call us and if you want to share anything please do share your views on this we are running out of time and would like to present another thing there are so many miracles of religious miracles we can discuss and have an understanding but we can have another show but one thing as we were discussing the birth of jesus i would like to discuss the crucifixion 
of Jesus. It's the biggest miracle, you know, Christianity present that, uh, you know, he went to the cross, he came li- alive and he was, uh, he was, he was, no, he, he was dead in the, in the cave. Um, you know, both Christians say that he was died on the cross. He was, you know, sacrificed his life for the people. He lived in the cave and woke up after three days and he was not a man anymore. He was a God. We will be, you know, listening one other uh, audio clip and uh, please join us after that. At that time, just on the cross, Mm -hmm. as I understand also, unlike with other traditions at that time, nor were legs of the person who was normally on the the cross were actually broken at that time. That didn't happen, and the biblical references prove that. And then also, when Hazrat Isa, Jesus Christ, was removed from the cross, he was then handed to his own family, his own friends, to sort of take the body away. That's right. The the, the body was then, then handed over. And it was taken to the sepulcher, um, which, which is, uh, if, if you look at the history of uh, that, that region, these are very large tombs, and they are very airy tombs, so therefore people can go in and come out. It is not a small tomb like we have a concept of today. These are large cave-type rooms uh, where people were able to come in. And, and the, the events that followed on from there are, are interesting as well because we know that the, the body was tended to by his disciples. They did not just uh, put, wrap him up in a shroud and, and, and leave him at that. He, he was, uh, his, his wounds, they had uh, an ointment that was put over, over those wounds. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this is not an embalming ointment. That is the thing too. It was a medicinal ointment which had healing powers. Why would you want to put medicinal ointment on someone that had died? Mm-hmm. So this, this is important that uh, this, this ointment was used, not an embalming ointment. 100 pounds of it, eh? 100 pounds of it. Not, not, a, small not a small amount. Not a small amount. And that, that was actually, the Isa Islam, Jesus Christ, was taken into the tomb. He has this ointment. Uh, and then, you know, according to Christian beliefs, I think we've already demonstrated through the biblical references that Jesus could not have died on the cross, indeed did not die on the cross. And then we see Jesus reappear, which was taken as the resurrection. Yet, how Hazrat Isa Jesus Christ reappeared is also worth sort of just dwelling on briefly as well, how he reappeared to his disciples. Yes, yes. I mean, this is the next interesting fact as uh, Dr. Saab was talking about. What happens next? What is the use of a body if the whole purpose of him being man or son of man was just to separate his spirit from that body, leave the body behind, and then reappear. Reappear to ensure his disciples something they should have already known. As I said about Judas Iscariot, he should have known the purpose of this man's mission was to give his life for our salvation, to atone our sins. But he didn't believe it because he killed himself. What happened next shows his disciples also didn't believe it. Because the moment they heard that the master was seen alive, they began to doubt. They doubted so much that one of the, the disciples is known even now as Doubting Thomas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's know? where that originates. That's where yes. it originates from. Mm-hmm. Because when he was told by Mary who had gone to the, the tomb and found that the master's not there, and he met someone in disguise, who later on we, we learned was Jesus himself in disguise, why he disguised himself as a spirit? Nothing to fear now. They can't arrest a spirit and put him on a cross. And if they do, he just floats away or whatever it is. But he's disguised and he tells her 
that, Oh Mary, why do you seek the, the, the dead amongst the living? Now go tell your disciples that your master's alive and he's going to come meet you very shortly. She runs off excited and, My God, uh, I got good news. The master's not there. His body's gone. He's been given new life. He rushes to see the disciples, tells them the news. They should be saying, Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. We're all going to be saved. Let's go believe in Jesus. They said, No, this can't happen. Yes. <laughs> Where's the body, yeah, Mary? What you do body? with the body? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Some, something's going on here. Yeah. Not to trivialize the matter at all, but the reactions, the human reactions of a group of inner circle disciples should have been markedly different. They should have been embracing the fact that, yes, the master told us all this. We watched the events unfold, although many of us ran from the scene. But a few who were there who gave the accounts in this last one disciple, Mary, who tells them uh, he's alive, they don't believe her. Isn't that amazing? Finally, he does appear to them, and doubting Thomas wants to get close to the master to see, is this the same Jesus Christ that I knew? After this ordeal, as Dr. Saab has explained, would you not be a, a bit uh, drawn and, and, and wearied by the whole event of being beaten, being forced to drag that cross, spending some time in a state of crucifixion, finally taken down, wrapped up with medicinal ointments around you, put inside a, 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 a sepulchre, sepulchre, a little tomb for a while, basically, and uh, you can say a, a barometric chamber in the hospital, you know, to, to, to heal, as we would understand it. But at least yeah. you're going through all this recovery. You come out a bit disheveled, a bit uh, drawn, and people look at you, and you look somewhat similar, but different than the person you just met. And you want to know, are you a spirit or are you a man? What does Thomas do? He reaches out to touch his master. And the master said, yes, I am the same flesh and blood that you knew before. Touch me, Thomas. See my wounds. So you'll have faith. And Thomas does this. The next thing he does, again, is very strange for a spirit. Christ has left the body behind now. There's no need for this body. He's a resurrected spirit. But he asked them, oh, my, my disciples, do you have anything to eat? He feels <laughs> hunger. He feels yeah. hunger. Mm -hmm. And they give him some fish and honeycomb. So this, again, shows the events after crucifixion disprove the fact that Christ died on that cross and a spirit is now is amongst them. This is the same man who escapes this in a very miraculous way, no doubt. Uh, God supported him to get through this. No doubt. But it's the same man who disguises himself, reunites with his disciples, and is asking for food so he can continue the healing and move on toward the rest of his mission, which is to connect with the lost sheep of Israel. And that, Jangir Saab, if we could move to that, we've established, I think, quite clearly that from the disguise, not just the reaction of the disciples, but the reaction and the way Hazrat Isa, Jesus Christ, was be behaving himself in disguise. But then his mission was the 12 lost tribes of Israel. As you said earlier, two tribes were already in Palestine, Israel at that time, but then beyond. What was his mission? What happened next? Well, first we have to say what had happened to them. Why are they called lost tribes? It's because 2,700 years ago, uh, about 700 years before Christ, the Assyrians had uh, attacked the kingdom of Israel, which is the northern kingdom in the Holy Land, and had carried off 10 of the tribes, apart from Benjamin and Judah, into captivity. And they had spread them out over their dominion, which extended well into Persia, modern-day Persia, and even a little beyond that. 
So over the centuries the tribes actually settled those areas and uh, arrived even into India and some even into, into the, 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 the beginnings of China. And they settled there and they never returned. And uh, they continued to follow the, the religion of Moses. Some of them later became Buddhists. Many of them became Hindus in Kashmir, for example, in India. And I'd like to tell you, I myself descend from one of those tribes, and I'll say it in the language of Jesus, I'm from the tribe of Joseph, myself. And we know our history, mm -hmm. and we know that Jesus came to us. Mm -hmm. I'm from Afghanistan originally. He came to Afghanistan, he preached to us, we believed in him, he was the Messiah, we accepted him. Then he went on to Kashmir, and he preached there, and he would come and go between us and the Kashmiris, and eventually he passed away in Kashmir. So Jesus, Christ, I mean, in the last sort of 10 minutes of the program, if we could just focus on his mission now. We hear the historic traditions of a uh, person in the personage of Yus Asaf, the gatherer, as yes. a, um, that appeared in Kashmir in the northern parts of Afghanistan, etc. Could you put that into perspective in terms of the historical Jesus that we have talked about? Well, the historical Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet of God and he had to, to uh, preach to all the tribes. He said to his disciples, and this is in the Bible, he said, I have other sheep who are not of this flock and they must hear my voice so that there is only one shepherd and one flock. And I, he said that in different, uh, at different times and it's been, it's been recorded. He did go there. Now the interesting thing is that not only there are oral traditions which speak of him coming to Kashmir and to Afghanistan and other areas as well, but we find there are documents which exist among non-Semitic uh, uh, peoples as well, who have nothing to do with Christ. For example, the Buddhist in Tibet, who mentioned the coming of Christ. But there's a very interesting document which, which belongs to the Hindus. It's a historical document, which is the Bhavishya Mahapuran. So, welcome back. So, you were listening uh, to, you know, <clears throat> the understanding, the true understanding of... Uh, the death and uh, you know waking up uh, after the crucifixion uh, as a Christian thing and you must have had a true understanding of it and uh, this been taken as a miracle and of course it was a miracle that God saved him but what is a true account you have heard and I hope you have benefited from this we're ending out of time definitely we'll be back uh, in the next show we'll be discussing the miracles of uh, Islam the Holy Prophet and the promised Messiah and we'll discuss in depth that how it happened and the true account of it and uh, right now, we would like to take leave from you. I would like to thank all the team who worked. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.